What's going on, party people? Welcome to the Bird Rights Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and today I have my first ever guest on the Bird Rights Podcast. As you guys know, the Bird Rights Podcast is a brand new podcast on the Hoopball Network where I try to give front office aspects to the league and, you know, talk about the behind the scenes of the NBA that you don't get to see every night. So today I am joined by Trey Hill from the Bold Statements Bold Predictions podcast, also on the Hoopball Network. So make sure you give that a listen. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as the Bird Rights. And yeah, as I said today, we are going to be ranking head coaches in the NBA. So Trey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad that, you know, for those of you who listen to Bold Statements Bold Predictions, Trey and Keith had me on their first ever YouTube live pod. So I was, you know, I had to at least return the favor that I'm going to both be letting Trey and Keith on in the near future. But Trey, again, I'm just excited to be the first guest. Keith was a, Keith was a little butthurt. I, I sent him a message because he was asking when I was available to pod for hit with him. And I was like, well, I'm going on the Bird Rides show on oh, Sunday. Yeah. And he was like, what? I, he didn't ask me to come on. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be the first guest. I'm really excited to be the first guest ahead of Keith. So and I I'm glad there's a podcast now on the Hoopball Network that's not focused either on gambling or even on the basketball players themselves because we love the action on the court, but the coaching aspect, the front office aspect, like there's so much more to success for an NBA franchise than just the players. Yeah, and again, it I want to give a deep dive into the new perspective that, you know, Hoopball's obviously – on fantasy basketball, a huge part of it, and then gambling aspect of it. So I'm trying to, you know, dig deeper into, you know, why things are the way they are. Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Tenacupo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he resigns, a new reality is the players are going to move around. And the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole money in a life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, No question. I'm on the gambling side of things. I went 3-0 and last night on my picks, so make sure to listen to BSBP to get more of those. But with the gambling side, you want every little edge you can find. And having a good coaching staff that's going to put players in position to succeed, that's an edge. And uh, you'll hear how down we are on some of these guys. Okay. With that said, let's start at our bottom tier. How many did you have in your – you said you have seven tiers, correct? Yes, I, I had seven tiers. You also had seven, right? Yes. How many did you have in your last tier? I had five. I had three. So how about I start with my 30, 29, and 28s, and then, you know, you could chime in on the two additional that you've had. Yeah, I'll throw them in after you. When I get to my next tier, I'm sure you'll, your tier will add up to the five. Uh, let's see. I wonder, if, I wonder if your three are in my five. Okay. Well, my number three. My number 30 and 29, I was going to put them in a tier by themselves because I think they're by far two of the worst coaches I've ever seen in the NBA. So 
I ended up throwing in another coach with them just because I didn't think the next year up would be suitable for the third guy. Oh, oh you really? Oh, so who are they? 30, I have Luke Walden. 29, I have Jason Kidd. Uh, I have them flip-flopped, but yeah, they're my bottom two. Yeah, I was have... going to say, I was just going to tie them for last and see these are the two worst coaches in no order. But, and then my third guy, before we get into those two, I put J.B. Bickerstaff. It might be a little unfair because seeing Bickerstaff's coaching history, he's never really been in a winning situation. You know, with he was with Memphis, now he's with Cleveland. He's never had an opportunity to really have a successful team. So I might be a little critical and harsh by putting him in this tier with, again, two loser coaches with Jason Kidd and Luke Walden, but he hasn't proven to me at all. Starting three centers and two point guards recently and a starting five. I know they're three and three to start the year, but Larry Markinen is not a small forward. Sexton and Garland, I get starting both of them, but I don't know. I, he's just, he, he hasn't proven to me on why he shouldn't be anything but a bottom tier coach. Oh, and see, I have him two tiers higher than this. Okay. I I was also a big non-believer in Laurie at the three, but I've watched quite a few of the of the Cavs games because they've been successful. And recognizing Evan Mobley is already a defensive anchor for a playoff caliber team. He is he is that good on defense. And I, I ranked Bickerstaff probably a little higher than I should have, but I, I did it because I was rewarding him for some uh, a move that we all we all said wasn't going to work. I, I never heard one person saying, I love this three-center lineup in Cleveland. Everybody was ridiculing it. But Bickerstaff saw what we weren't able to see in practices, saw what was going to work on the floor, and they don't <clears throat> they run they run some zone, they run some man, they run some like uh even like a one-man matchup and then the other guys play zone, he's he's mixed it up enough to where defenses can't just isolate Markinen and take advantage of him repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And I and I on offense they didn't have Garland for a few games and uh, oh I lost my numbers but so when Garland plays they're basically in the 90th percentile as an offense and when he doesn't play they're in the bottom 10th percentile as an offense so. I think the Cavs are going to be really good this year, and I think that's because of J.B. Bickerstaff really buying into his team. So that's our first big disagreement. Okay, good. I'm glad we got a disagreement out of the way early. Again, I don't disagree. It looks like you went more into numbers, which is good because I'm glad because I'm focusing more on rotations and the personnel that the coaches are equipped with and how they utilize it. So I'm glad that, you know, one of us has numbers to put to it while the other one just talks about the rotations. So I I get it. I just again he has he's been a head coaching a head coach for what about five years in the league. I think he was with Memphis two or three years, and now this right. is year with Cleveland. So I just I don't see anything to put him higher, I guess. That again, I know the personnel's been weak. Right, and that that's kind of in the in the tier he's in. That's kind of the theme for those coaches. Well, we, so with my seventh tier, I called it the the coaches I'm out on, and I had Jason Kidd thirtieth, Luke Walton twenty nine. I had Chauncey Billups twenty eighth. Okay, I twenty six. So I have twenty six. Okay, um, I'm just I haven't been sold on anything he's done in Portland, and I'm a big person on character and how they address the character uh, questions they had. Combined with his uninspired coaching so far, I just 
he's just a real uninspired fit for an organization that's going nowhere. Yeah. And then, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I get the whole, you know, the sexual assault allegations, everything that arose. I blame that more on Neil O'Shea and the Trailblazers PR team by the way they addressed it. I'm not going to knock Bill Ups for that. Again, I'm going to knock him as a person if, you know, the allegations are true. Of course, that's his own actions. But right. And I, the front office bleeds into this a little for me, I think. That's what I'm Right. We'll see. You'll see that once we get to like the top of the list. And then the last two guys rounding out my my guys I'm out on, Rick Carlisle at 27 and Doc Rivers at 26. You I, Rick Carlisle at 27? I am out on Rick Carlisle as a top-tier head coach. And he's probably not 27th in a vacuum, but I think – I think his ego and the kind of status that he has, he's had around the league. He hasn't won a playoff series in 10, 11 years. Yeah, I, I was just going to bring that up. And he, say, oh. Right. The only reason he played Luca is because Luca's a generational talent. He's, he's traditionally a curmudgeon who doesn't play young guys, who guys don't like to play for. That's not the way the league is trending. Indiana's off to a rough start. They're getting ready to have a fire sale. I, I'm just out on Carlisle. I have him ranked 27th, and I have Doc Rivers right behind him. Uh, I know he's new in Philly, but I haven't liked what he's done in Philly since he's been there. I didn't like – I've never been a Doc Rivers guy. Okay, here's my thing. For those of you who don't know, I am a Sixers fan. So, obviously, Trey has me a little triggered when he talks about Doc Rivers. Just, just kidding. I, I'm not a big Doc Rivers fan either. At the time, I was like, hmm, do I want Doc Rivers or Ty Lue? For whatever reason, I was like, I just don't know how well Ty Lue will fit the personnel the Sixers have with playing around two non-shooting stalls at the time. But as, we, as we're going to get into my rankings, I'm not going to spoil it, but Ty Lue is a significant upgrade over Doc Rivers, if I'm being honest. Doc Rivers clearly, you know, he's blown three different three-to-one leads in the playoffs, if I'm being realistic about who the Sixers have at the helm. So obviously I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe he's not all that he's cracked up to be. But I think Doc Rivers is such a good regular season coach that if he's able to get you a one seed or a two seed and you saw him take a team. I know Daryl Morey transformed this team from an Al Horford iteration of it into a Danny Green and Seth Curry reiteration of it. And that improved, you know, the spacing and the fit of the team. And Doc Rivers was able to take that six seed and turn them into a one seed. Again, they choked in the playoffs. I completely understand the trepidation of Doc Rivers as a playoff coach. He does not make adjustments. He will die on the hill of playing Dwight Howard 18 minutes in the playoffs like he did last year. He'll do the same thing with Andre Drummond this year. He doesn't adapt. And that I will agree with. Okay. Can, yeah. I, can I try and kick you while you're down? Sure. I think a lot of coaches can get the one seed if you have a locked-in defensive player of the year candidate, Ben Simmons, and an MVP candidate, in Joel Embiid, and you have those players around him. I, I think Daryl Morey had much more to do with that number one seed than Doc Rivers. I think he, I think he's a fine coach, but he was, he was at the bottom of my tier seven. He, made, he was 26th on my list. Uh, uh, I really don't have a lot left to say about the, the, the bottom of the barrel guys. They're not fun for me. Yeah. Um. Quickly, I just wanted to – I don't have much to say about Jason Kidd. I mean, I think everyone with eyes sees how – that understands basketball can really see how poor of a coach he's been. He's had Giannis in Milwaukee. He's had Luka in Dallas. And so far, it just looks like he really doesn't grasp how, you know, to make proper rotations, how 
Like he has Dorian Finney-Smith doing these high post ops, and that's how they run their offense. And it just I, does. I saw somebody tweet. Uh, I don't remember what the what the motion was. I think it was like uh, they he, they tried to run the Spain pick and roll against the hard hedge, which um, that's super technical, but that just it doesn't work. It's like it's like trying to run up the middle in football when they've stacked the line. And it, j- watching Jason Kidd coach, they said, is like watching a guy who understands the technical terms about what's going on on the basketball court, but has no idea how to implement them for success on the court. Uh, he, you, you watch Dallas, they run things, but they don't, they don't run things successfully. They don't do anything that's trying to score the ball. They just do them to kind of be doing them. He's, he's the worst coach in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, him and Luke Walden, I think it's a fair, fair. I'll give them a tie because like they're just both so bad at you know just fundamental basketball. I feel like. So who's in your tier six? My tier six, I actually have let's see, two, four, six, eight, nine guys. I have my nineteen to twenty-seven. A lot of them are relatively new coaches. Well, I just didn't know where else to rank them. Um, I have twenty-seven Willie Green. Again, wasn't sure where to put him. Obviously, the Pelicans are off to a terrible start without Zion. But he was on those Phoenix and Golden State benches. Phoenix, where they went to the championship, or Golden State while they were a dynasty. So I'm like, okay, clearly as an assistant coach, he's had success. I I have him 25th. He's at the bottom of my tier six. And everything you said echoes true. What I would add in is Valanchunas has been shooting a very high percentage. He's been getting buckets for them. And they – they just refuse to try and run anything through him. And that was that was what made me put him at the very bottom of tier six. There's nothing even without Zion, I haven't seen the Pelicans do anything inspired on offense. Yeah, it's and obviously last night Brandon Ingram was out and okay. Twenty six I had Chauncey Billups, who I know was in your last year. I mean, they fired Terry Stotts, who's a pretty good – they being Portland, obviously. They fired Terry Stotts, who's actually a pretty good coach. But the issue was he was never able to get them to buy in on defense. And so far through the beginning of the regular season and the preseason, Chauncey Billups is even a worse defensive mind than Terry Stotts is. So it's like, I, what was the point of firing Stotts to bring in Billups, who obviously has way more issues? And, you know, if Dame wants out because of this whole fiasco, it's just like, it's a disaster. I think firing Stotts was the right move. It was time for a, just a chain, a, someone different in there. He, you know, he'd had he'd had a lot of time to try, but bringing Billups in was just the wrong move from an organization that just continues to look poorly yeah. um, when you compare them to others. Uh, so you said he was twenty fifth for you. Twenty six was Billups. Twenty six. Okay, who's twenty fifth? Twenty five. I have Wes Unsell Jr. Same thing. I wanted to rank him higher because, you know, he's had success with Denver as an assistant. Denver is one of the best teams in player development in the NBA. So he played a role in that. But again, and he is a Wizards playing to a very good start. So this isn't an indictment on him. It was just more of, okay, he's coached seven career games. I'm just not sure where to put him yet. Um, 24, I put Jamal Mosley. He's in the same category as Wes Hunsell Jr. Jamal Mosley, I will say, though, or Mosley, Luka Doncic loved him. And if you could get a top player in the league to love you and adore you the way Luka loved him, then clearly you're doing something right as a coach. That's that's a pretty good point on Mosley. I had Mosley next on my list behind 
uh, Willie Green. So I had Mosley 24th. Yeah. And I have I have unsold 22nd. I have him a little bit higher. I just like what the Wizards have done. I think he's Beal's usage is actually high. It's actually higher, but Spencer Dinwiddie's is also at 30. percent And I think that he's done a really good job of blending those two together for success. And but again, these are these are 21 through 25 for my rankings are the new coaches who I don't really have a lot of opinion on. So it's very early sample size. Yeah, that's why I was just like, as I said, it's not an indictment on any of these guys. They coach literally six or seven career games. I just genuinely, they haven't done anything that really stood out to me yet to put them any higher. So, 23, how do you say OKC's coach's last name? Dan- uh, Dagonal, I think. I never know how to pronounce it, but I put him 23. We actually saw OKC last year when SGA was playing win some games that, you know, they shouldn't have. I mean, they just beat the Lakers the other day. Obviously, LeBron didn't play, but he gets those guys. He gets the most out of what he has. Obviously, we know they're a rebuilding team, but he has them play hard every night. He has them buy into what he's doing, and I respect that. I, I'm i pretty high on him. I watched quite a bit of the SGA games last year, so – the games I watched of them, they were more successful than they were overall. So I'm I'm a little biased, but I like I like what they run in OKC. I feel like he puts his players in positions to succeed. He just doesn't have the talent around him. Like he doesn't have the players. So I actually have him up at 16th. I have him as a, as a pretty as like the average tier coach. Um, which again, it's probably a little high because I've watched. The games I've watched have skewed towards being the better Thunder games. But I, I think he's a positive coach to have on your team. I think he, he does a lot of smart things out there. Yeah, I mean, he's, again, with the personnel that he has, he's, you know, really gotten the most out of his guys. He's developing. I wish he would play guys like Poku more. Like, Poku right now is only playing 18 minutes a game. And for everyone who knows me, I love Poku. Like, he's my guy. I think he's going to be really good. But, like, I get early in the year not trying to win games early. Because as the season goes on, that's when OKC is going to start tanking more and more and more as it goes on. So I wonder if it's a durability thing and he's not – because Poku's still real skinny. He hasn't put on He hasn't put on much weight yet. And if you're a real skinny guy, I wonder if, if you're playing 25, 30 minutes a game, if that wear and tear adds up and maybe he's thinking he's wanting to keep Poku fresh for the long the yeah. long haul. Yeah. Because it's not it's not like they're worried about making the playoffs. Yeah, and I really like these three goal lineups that he's doing with um SGA, Josh Giddy, and Lou Dorse. So it's just it's another thing that's like, okay, yeah. for what a young coach on a young team is doing. Because he's I believe the youngest coach in the NBA. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, and yeah. those three guard lineups, they're just fantastic. And it's Giddy Giddy is a perfect fit with SGA because SGA he's he's I think he he can be the number one option on a really good team. But even if you're a great number one option, you unless you're like the top top tier guys, you need to have that secondary playmaker. And Giddy's Giddy's passings translated from day one. Okay. Was that the end of your? Okay, no, you're still yeah, in your tier six, right? I don't. Again, he's been. He's still such a relatively new coach. He took over the beginning of last year. I still. He's still. That's why I'm still in this tier of like. I really don't know what to do with him. Right. Twenty-two. I put Ime Udoka. 
So far, Boston's off to a pretty shitty start. But um, but he's he's always been touted as like one of the top assistants in the NBA. I have him 23rd, so right there with you. Okay. He, I like that he's come out and been critical of players and their effort and their demeanor. Um, you saw Peyton Pritchard get his first ever did not play coach's decision the other night. Aaron Neesmith's been stuck on the bench, and I think that's because those are the guys that might not be taking it as serious as Ime wants them to. And so while he hasn't had the results, like you said, uh, I do at least like the culture he's trying to bring. Now, whether that'll work or whether they're going to end up like pushing that out and not be, you know, not take it serious, then we'll see. But I like what Ime's brought, so he's right there with you in that. Let's wait and see what he what he yeah. brings over a couple of years. Yeah, and again, he's coached seven, eight games in his career, so it's hard to be critical or anything of him yet. So I, that's why I'm just leaving him where I put him. 21, I put Dwayne Casey. So I don't know will you have him. I, I try not not. I have him 20th. Okay. Just, just outside of this tier. He's, okay. he's the first guy in my next tier. Yeah, so, so he's 20th. Yeah, he's actually in this tier with the rest of these mostly new coaches because he's similar to J.B. Bickerstaff in the aspect of, okay, I really don't know what to do with him because I don't want to be too critical of him from his years in Toronto and choking in the playoffs every year because LeBron James will just get the best out of his teams. I'm not going to criticize a guy for not knowing how to game plan against LeBron James. But it's really hard to fault someone when you're like, no, look, man, you were a great coach. You had your teams there every year, but you just couldn't beat LeBron James. Like that, it's a lot of people who couldn't beat LeBron James. Yeah, so that's why I was like, I just put him in this category of coaches that I'm still just the jury's out on. Because then he went to Detroit right after Blake Griffin ended up leaving or getting bought out. Um, Drummond obviously got traded. So, like, they kind of went into a rebuild as soon as they got him. So I'm interested to see how he implements, like, Cade Cunningham at two points last night. So I'm interested to see what he does with the Cades and the Killian Hayes and, you know, not running offense strictly through Jeremy Grants. I, I don't know. That's why I just kind of put him in this tier of just, like, 2B. He, he's a he, – he, the Bulls played the Pistons twice already this season, and they beat them twice. But both games, man, the Pistons played hard. Yeah. And – he, ha- he has his guys believing in this team. They're, they're a united front. They're a little undersized with uh, Isaiah Stewart, Beef Stew there at center. But they make up for it with the effort and the gang rebounding. And I gave him some credit for that. He He's not a championship-level coach. He's I don't think he's ever going to be a championship-level coach. But he is – if you have a young team with some talent, you can do a lot worse than having Dwayne Casey on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I was just like, okay, I'll put him within this tier. 19 and 20 are actually two coaches I'm pretty high on, given how low I have them ranked. And it's mostly because they're new coaches who haven't had any success yet, but I like what they're doing. And that's 19, I put Steven Silas, and 20, I put Chris Finch. So Steven Silas, I actually, last year on my NBA goal podcast, on my mock offseason, I actually said when D'Antoni got fired, oh, I put money on Steven Silas. He was plus like 1,800 to win the coaching job. There was like 12 coaches ahead of him. Well, it wasn't even that. I took the field for the Rockets coach compared to everyone listed. And Steven Silas was who I had in mind. They hired him. And I basically told everybody before 
you know his name was even mentioned. Because Steven Stiles was interviewed back when the Howard Dean Tony and almost got the job. So I knew they keep him in mind. Basically, I put him 19th above all these guys because when he was like basically the offense coordinator for the Mavs behind Carlisle, they had a historically good offense with very, aside from Luka, very poor personnel. So he's a very great offensive minded coach. I'm excited to see what he's going to do with like Jalen Green and obviously Christian Wood and Shangoon. I'm just, I'm Kevin Porter Jr. I'm very excited to see what he's going to do with all those offensive pieces. So as a result, I put him. I put him in the same tier just because he's still relatively new. It wouldn't shock me if he lost his job sooner rather than later just because of how poor the Rockets are and, you know, they need a scapegoat. But I grew like Steven Silas. So my, I had my bottom tier and then I had my sixth tier. And my sixth tier was the coaches who are new that I haven't seen enough of yet. Steven Silas was at the top of that one at 21. He, I think he's done an excellent job in Houston. I they played. They were the first team ever the other night to have four to start four teenagers. They had four 19-year-olds playing the other night, and they play hard. They're getting good shots. I, I really like what he's done in Houston, and I really hope you're wrong that he ends up being the scapegoat. I hope that the. I think he. I think Houston is smart enough to to recognize that they they're really young just because of how young they are. And I'm hoping they give him a few years. But he was he was 21 for me. I had him at the top of my up-and-coming coaches. Finch, I had him so much higher than you. I'm not even going to tell you where he's at yet. I want you to be surprised. Okay. But uh, – and so, yeah, that's the end of my Tier 6. So everything – I have three coaches in my Tier 5 that are the uh, – uh, I guess Dwayne Casey's probably should have been in a tier by himself. But they're like that fringe – Average guy. Okay. You'll see. Okay, well, Finch, I mean, Minnesota actually has a winning record with Finch at coach with Cat and D'Angelo Russell in the lineup. And I know that's a very particular stat. I'm not a big D'Angelo Russell guy, but it just shows he's running the offense a lot through Cat, which I like. And I actually like – and, again, he's coming from the Nick Nurse tree. Nick Nurse I do have ranked pretty high on this list. So given – but at the same time – um. What's his name? Nate Bjorkman also came from the Nick Nostry. And last year, that was a disaster with Indiana. So I'm not going to rank a guy high just because he's coming from a specific coaching tree. But, yeah, I, I do like what Chris Finch has done with that Minnesota offense. Minnesota's been playing great to start the year. They're all hands on deck. And, as I said, with Kat and DeAndre Russell in the starting lineup, they have a winning record. So the, They do have a winning record. They – he – he took over in the middle of last year and last year he was able to implement some offensive sets. Uh, like they started running that Spain pick and roll that I mentioned earlier. And that's where the big sets a screen at the top of the key at the top. And then he gets a back screen on a cut. Atlanta runs it a lot for those lobs for Trey young to Clint Capella. And, but this season he was able to implement his defense. And so now the bigs, they used to drop on pick and rolls and now he has them coming up and attacking. And with cat and Nas Reed, they're athletic enough to do that. I I love what Finch has done. I think he's one of the hottest up and co- like I think he's one of the hottest coaches in the league, and I'm I'm really high on him. Okay, and again, there's if I'm you're a Minnesota fan, there's something to be excited about because as we as we talked about, I don't have Doc Rivers ranked yet. I still have him a bit higher, but like you have him 26. Doc Rivers, you know what he is, you know what he's going to do. Those he's not going to throw any surprises. Chris Finch is one of those guys that like you know he could still surprise you with oh. 
I never even would have thought to implement something like that. Like, so he's just one of those young, new hipster type coaches where, you know, it gives you something to be excited about. So, okay. So who's next on your list? Okay. So I have tier five. I have three coaches. Okay. I have 18, Steve Nash. I have Steve Nash 18th also. Okay. So I have Steve Nash 18th. 17th, I have James Borrego. Okay. And then I have 16th, him 15th. 16th, I put Billy Donovan. I have him 13th. Okay. So Nash, I couldn't really gauge him as a coach last year. I, as I said, I did a podcast with one of my buddies on my other podcast, the NBA goal, similar to this list last year where, and even then I didn't really know what to rank Steve Nash a year later. I still don't know. I mean, I know he's playing Bruce Brown now, but I think, you know, in the season open versus Milwaukee, the fact that he should be in your starting lineup and you don't even have in your rotation, I think that's inexcusable. Um, I mean, he has Kevin Durant and James Harden, so obviously he's going to end. He's a two-time MVP point guard, so I would hope that your offense is going to be historically good. I just – I don't know how how much he's going to be able to get his guys to buy in when he's playing these Lamarcus Aldridge's and Paul Millsaps all these minutes. I I have Steve Nash 18th. I have Ty Lue 19th, and then I have Dwayne Casey 20th. I have that as my tier five because I feel like they're the guys who – they can coach the top, top – like if you give them the best player in the league – they can coach that team to be a title contender, but I don't know how much coach, like I, I don't know how good of coaches they are otherwise. And I don't, I don't know how fair that is to say to Ty Lue even, but I, I just, say. Go huh? Oh, Go I just, I, I feel like those guys, the, if I wouldn't want them, I don't know that I would want them for the Knicks, so to speak. Ty Lu, you have 19th. This might be our biggest discrepancy, yes. Yeah, I have Ty Lu 19th. I'm not I'm not big on Ty Lu. Okay. I have Ty Lu number three. What does what does he do that you that like, that's that I what just, does he do that the average NBA coach wouldn't do? I just feel like he pushes every year when the playoffs come around. Well, one I liked, remember that story that came out that LeBron took the clipboard during a huddle one year. Like, I think it might have been the championship year. And he started going to play, and Ty Lue grabbed the clipboard from him and said, no, like, I'm the effing coach, not you. So I like that because he could put, like, a stall. He put LeBron James in his place. Like, he's not afraid. He's not going to back down from a stall player. So that was like, okay, that's cool. But I just feel like when the playoffs come around, he pushes every single right button. Like, last year with the Clippers after Kawhi got hurt, he didn't play Terrence Mann or Luke Kennard at all when Kawhi played, but the second Kawhi got hurt, you know, he implemented a whole new strategy, brought those guys in. They ended up beating Utah the next two games. Like, I just feel like he knows how to push the correct buttons. The, Clipper, the Clippers were built to beat the Jazz. There is not a team that is a worse matchup for the Jazz. And they played without – I mean, I'm not sure how many – I don't have it up. I don't know how many games they played with or without Kawhi in front of me. But it's two that they won. Well, I mean in the regular season. Oh, okay, okay. So it, Kawhi misses games. It's not like Ty Lue went into the playoffs and when Kawhi was out, he was like, oh, no, we've never played without Kawhi before. And I think the Clippers are an excellently built team for success, and I think Ty Lue did exactly what he was supposed to do. The Utah Jazz, they're built around Rudy Gobert staying in the paint and protecting the rim. And so when you pull him away from the rim – 
if they don't have like that's how they beat the Jazz, and it was smart coaching, but it was pretty basic like, coaching. I don't. Every time I've watched the Clippers, it's been I. I feel like he's just a very average coach. And so I probably have him a little lower because some guys, you know, they're younger based on this potential ahead. I just, other than the LeBron factor, like you said, I think he could coach a title contending team. I think he can coach an ego, but other than that, I just don't know what he brings to, uh, he doesn't bring a lot for me other than that to the table. Okay. That's, uh, that's fair. I mean, I get it, but as a Sixers fan, like, I I really would like you're had, right. I, you're begging for this. You're like, please, God, please. Yeah, we we had Ty Lue in the building, and we were gonna hire him. And then Doc Rivers literally got fired. They flew him out that night, and then hired him. Like Ty oh. was gonna be our guy. Yeah, I think if I think if you guys had Ty Lue, you things would be completely different in Philly. And yeah, that that is a very fair point. He he is such a ceiling raiser if you have the squad to win, but don't have the coach. And I did, I didn't factor that in nearly as much as I should have probably in this list. I was looking at it very much from a, if I'm starting a team from scratch. Okay. That's fair. Um, 17 James Borrego. I had him where I had him because first I was like, it's inexcusable for him to start miles bridges over PJ Washington going into the year. And then even in the closing lineup, he didn't have P.J. Washington in it. I figured he'd be paying P.J. Washington as a small ball five, whatever, but instead he's playing Plumlee. Obviously, you know, he's showing me I was wrong. Miles Bridges clearly is in the middle of a huge breakout. And as a result, that's why he's seeing everyday practice, what I'm not seeing. So that's why I was like, okay, clearly he was right. And one thing I did hear about Perego. He, every single year, as the Hornets coach, he's gone over on the Vegas over and under win total. Which, no, I didn't know that. Nice. Small market like Charlotte, that's pretty impressive. I know it's not like they were like ever projected for a lot of wins, but every single year I read he went over the, what Vegas projected him to do. I, I have him a little bit higher than you even. I have him 15th. Okay. And so the you're right. He puts his guys in positions to succeed. The easiest example of this is I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would bet almost anything that the Hornets lead the league in points scored off of fast break opportunities when their opponents make the basket. They they make an effort to because Lamelo is so good at throwing those full court passes that you see on the highlights. They they are throwing full court passes constantly, running on guys. He sees the weaknesses on the team, and then he he does a great job of scheming around those weaknesses and putting the Hornets in the best positions to succeed. Uh, the other night when they lost against the Celtics, if LaMelo Ball isn't doing LaMelo Ball things and acting a little bit foolish with his shot selection, they were up by, I think, I think 10-15 because Borrego put them in positions to win. He He's an excellent coach who I think is – like you said, small market goes a little under the radar because he coaches the Hornets. Yeah, and as we know, you know, he's coming from the Popovich tree. So I'm not going to knock a coach who's coming under the great, the best coach of all time, just about. So, okay, 16, I'm going to throw to you, Billy Donovan, because you obviously, as a Bulls fan, watch way more Bulls than I do. Um, I mean, same thing. He's always had, like, a pretty good personnel. Obviously, in OKC, he had... Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Um, 
James Harden, obviously, for a little. He he coached that James Harden reiteration of the team, right? Um, I'm I mean, not I'm not sure. Okay. I don't want to comment. Yeah. Okay. But either way, the point is he always had a top elite player at his disposal. Now, you know, the Bulls, they really loaded up this year on the personnel they brought in. So he was – I just really didn't know where to rank him. So I just put him mid-tier, and maybe you have more insight since you watch more Bulls games than I do. I, I have him 13th. I really should probably have him 14th. I have Nate McMillan for, right behind him. McMillan's the better coach. I really should have I So – I'll move Donovan to 14th, but he's – everyone talked about how bad the Bulls' defense was going to be coming into the year, and I think they're still towards the top five. They held the Jazz uh, – they had a better – they held the Jazz to a lower offensive rating than any team did last year in the regular season last night. I, I'm really high on what he does on offense. He puts – he's been able to blend all of those guys in together successfully – and Vucevic was shooting like 40% around the rim when he's normally a 65% around the rim guy. If he makes a few more of those, the offense looks significantly better. I think he's just a really good coach who who enables his best guys to – he enables their strengths and hides their weakness as well. Yeah, and he's doing a lot with that Bulls defense that a lot of people said was going to be suspect um, over the summer. You know, the guy, everyone plays really hard, and when you have everyone jumping in passing lanes, Lonzo Ball has been a godsend for that team. I think he's he should be nominated for first team all defense with how well he's been playing. Russo too. I mean, uh, yeah. And when you get them into, I was bringing him up next, and when you get to bring someone like Caruso off the bench to bring that energy, it's it's just there. I feel like Chicago's got something special going this year. I'm I'm really buying in on them. Okay, so that's the end of my fifth tier. So the same. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. My fourth tier, I was going to say I have four guys. Um, so how do your tiers break in? I know. Okay, that- so my fourth tier, my third, my third tier was Nash, Lou, and Casey. So my fourth tier, I had Bickerstaff seventeenth because I like what he's doing. I think it's, I think it's, I think it was smart what he did with the Cavs situation, but I want to see more. I had Dagonal at 16, Borrego 15th, Donovan 14th, I have Nate McMillan 13th, Taylor Jenkins 12th, and Mike Malone 11th. Okay, so we're similar. I have Taylor Jenkins in my – this is a tier of four coaches. I have Taylor Jenkins 15. I have Doc Rivers 14. I have Tibbs 13. I have McMillan 12. But then when you go to my next tier, I also have Michael Malone 11th. He's the last of nice. So – Okay. I think Taylor Jenkins is the one we ha- the guy we haven't talked about first, right? Yeah, I was just gonna say let's go with Taylor Jenkins. Um, I'm actually gonna do another podcast in the near future about this, but I want to talk about the teams that are best at developing players. And typically, you know, front offices that that combines the front office and the coaching staff because the front office has to find the proper personnel to surround the rest of the team with. But you know, it's the coach's job to develop these guys once they get their hands on them. So Memphis, I think he's done a phenomenal job of getting, you know, John Moran and Jaron Jackson, getting the Desmond Baines and the Xavier Tillmans. But, I mean, Taylor Jenkins, yes, he he needs to coach with what he's given. And he's done a phenomenal job at developing these Desmond Baines and these Xavier Tillmans and these DeAnthony Meldons. So you mentioned that 
it's it's a pairing, the GM and the coach, of developing the guys and bringing in the right guys for the for that development. Part of what I think is helping the development in Memphis is actually them getting rid of Valanciunas and bringing in Stephen Adams. I think Valanciunas was the better player, but I think for to maximize John Morant's and in particular Jaron Jackson Jr.'s development, I think Stephen Adams is better for them long term for their growth. Yeah, I think that's fair. And Stephen. And, and oh, go ahead. I was just going to say Stephen Adams has so far looked way better and way more stride than he was with the Pelicans. So that that's an indictment on not only the Pelican system, but showing, okay, Taylor Jenkins is properly using what he was given. Right. He's max. He's able to maximize these players and the Memphis front office has done a great job of giving him the right players, but he continues to impress. Like last year, I probably would have had him towards 17th on this list. And he just continues to keep doing better and better. Yeah, and Desmond Bain's almost averaging, like, 20 points a game right now, shooting, like, 50, 40, 90, something absurd. Like, I know it's six, seven games into the year, but, like, that shows he had Kyle Anderson starting all last year. He recognized, okay, this is time. Even with Dylan Brooks out, it's time to start Desmond Bain and bring Kyle Anderson off the bench. And he didn't hesitate to make that move, even though last year, you know, playing Kyle Anderson worked. Same same thing with – Oh, Brandon Clark was the guy, made all-rookie second team. Now he's playing behind Xavier Tillman because he's doing what works. He's, he, he doesn't care about, oh, this worked in the past. I'm I, I, I'm not satisfied with what's worked in the past. Right. Or expectations outside of the front office. If Just because yes. Clark was second team, all-rookie, doesn't mean he's that earns him playing time. So when you see the, the Twitter trolls popping up, it, it's nothing. Yeah. So – team was Doc Rivers already talked about him number 13 I have Tibbs I think I might be too low on him I probably am too low on him I just don't like how Tibbs is still set in his old ways in the aspect of playing his starters 40 minutes a night I don't think that in the regular season is a success is a successful strategy so yeah Tibbs gets guys to play hard on defense he's always going to have a great defense he's going to always have a team that plays extremely hard look what he's done to the Knicks who they're the Knicks. They've been terrible for years and years. Then all of a sudden he coaches them up to a four seed his first year there. So far this year, they're off to a hot start. So Tibbs, I feel like, is a coach who's always going to make the best out of what he has. But even when his teams aren't that good, he's still playing his starters 35-plus minutes a night. And I don't think that's a successful recipe during the regular season. I had him pretty low for the same reason at first, and then I went and looked. Julius Randle did lead the league last year in minutes played per game, 37.6. Fred Van Vliet was at 36. There was actually five guys. Um, but then after that, you have R.J. Barrett at 34.9. He's 20 years old. Um, it probably was a little high on the minutes, but he's young enough he needs the development. And then after that, you've got to scroll way down. Uh, where'd it go? Well, I'm, back, I'm down in like the 60s. So at 30 minutes per game, I haven't found anyone else yet. So I think th- he plays them hard and they're very hard minutes. But other than Randall and Barrett, he has he's done a better job of not running everyone into the ground. So I actually bumped him up. He's f- yeah, he's fifth on my list. He's just outside my top tier. I just think I think he he maximizes everything you have while you have it. Now he might he might grind down a year or two from the gr- you know f- from the grind of it all, but 
you still see Jimmy Butler thriving. You still see Taj Gibson thriving, you know, playing meaningful minutes every once in a while. I, I think he's learned a little from his Chicago mistakes. And so I, I just bumped him up a little bit because he's just so good from game to game. Yeah, but Taj Gibson is another one why I, you know, kind of bumped him down. Like, Taj Gibson, yes, he's had a great career. Taj Gibson should, should not be pl- – I know that Nolan's Noel's been hurt, and he's the number three center there. I don't believe Taj Gibson should be playing meaningful minutes in the NBA anymore. I, I honestly don't. And that, that's not an indictment on him. As I said, he's had a great career. But the fact that he's so set in his ways that he's going to keep playing the same guys, like, I don't know. If they were, if they were losing, I would agree with you. Okay. I just yeah, – That's fair. Right, it's just it's it's because it, you're right. If no if Noel is healthy, Taj Gibson should not be playing. Uh, but it's just it's hard for me to. And again, I'm a Bulls fan. Thibs was like the coach for me. Like I very that Derrick Rose, you know, all those guys are very dear to my heart. So I probably have him ranked higher than I should. I just I'm always gonna defend my guys, man. Yeah, trust me. If Brett Brown was on this list, he'd be low. I he I have no ties to him. He even when he became GM after the whole Colangelo um Bonergates fiasco, he traded Mikhail Bridges after drafting him for Zio Smith. So that guy's a disaster. Right. But okay, I do appreciate that he oversaw the process though. So for that he always will have a place in my heart. I just wouldn't have ranked him high because I don't think he was a great coach. Anyway, number twelve I had Nate McMillan. Um McMillan I feel like really showed like I used to have a saying, and it was every team is one Nate McMillan away from being having home court advantage in the playoffs. Like, that's the kind of coach he is. Like, okay, yeah, he's good. He's good enough, but he's not amazing. And McMillan, I feel like, really showed out last year, obviously for the Hawks, that, okay, he's more than just an average coach. I think after they filed Louis Pearson, McMillan took over, I believe they had the third best record in the NBA. Because they were like eight games under 500 when Lloyd Pierce was let go. And then they, they did. Ended, yeah, they ended up being, I think, what were they, 41 and 31, something like that? So they went from eight games under to 10 games over 500 in the span of like a 40 game sample size. Yeah. So, and Bogdanovich coming back helped for sure, you know, getting back. But McMillan, to me, it, it really showed the value of going from a coach that can't handle, a, that can't, hang with a star player to a coach that can get your star player to buy in because Trey young went from like, you can look at his numbers before and after and just everything he did was better under McMillan and the offensive sets were a little cleaner. You know, he definitely was the better offensive and defensive coach, but so much I think of Nate McMillan's success for the Hawks was just enabling Trey young to do the things he was able to do. And uh, you saw it firsthand against Philly in the playoffs. Like Trey Young, he he put he puts his players in such a such great positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and would you have McMillan? I don't know. If I had him 13th, so right behind you. Okay. I just I had I had Thibs higher. Okay, that's fair. So that's the end of my fourth tier. So my third tier, I have three guys. I know you said in this tier you had Malone 11. I also have him 11. Then I have Popovich 10th and Carlisle 9th. We already talked about Carlisle, so I guess let's focus on Pop. Let's talk about what, what, what do you uh, – oh, yeah, I guess I did already ask you what you liked about Carlisle, didn't I? Carlisle, yeah. I just feel like 
He still took a Dallas team. I know they have Luka, but I'm just – I'm not big on Chris Hospelzingas at all anymore. I just feel like he took a team literally with only Luka and still took the Clippers to seven games. And again, I said I'm high on Ty Lue as a coach, so the fact that he took the Clippers to seven games, impressed me. I know right. he has a playoff series in 10 years. I just feel like I get what you're saying with, oh, yeah, he doesn't play younger guys, this, that, whatever. We saw Tyro Terry and Ty- Tyler Bay, who were picks 31 and 34 in the draft last year, both didn't even make the team this year. So clearly that's an indictment on him not playing young guys. But And look what happens to them as a result. But, I mean, he we saw him win a championship. I know that was a million years ago at this point with Dirk. But – I just feel like he's another coach that knows how to get the most out of his guys. And that you're, you're the point about Dallas's front office not doing him any favors is a really good one. Yeah, that that's very fair. Aside from the Luca trade, I don't think they've really done anything correct in at least the last few years. So who do you you had him tenth? I had Colorado ninth. I had Malone eleventh, just like you did, and I put Popovich tenth. Okay, see, I have Popovich fourth, and that's kind of the uh, – that's probably the grandfathered in. But I know he caught a lot of flack for being all anti-three a few years ago. But if you went and actually looked at the numbers, other than DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, the, his teams have shot more threes than just about anyone. They – go ahead. I was just going to say that now that you brought up DeRozan and Aldridge – the thing that's impressive is that if you looked the last few years at the plus minuses with Aldridge and DeRozan on the court, it would be negative. But with the bench units, it would be positive with both of them on the bench. So I was going to bring that up, actually. So the fact that he's able to bring in a bench unit and have a positive net rating with them, it's impressive. I think he does a great job of coaching up the young guys. I think he does a great job of implementing systems of giving his teams the best the best advantages he can to give them the best chance to win. And that's that's one of the reasons I had him so high. I know he's been on, he's had a couple quotes about how much fun he's had this year because it's the youngest team he's ever had. And I think that shows with his uh with how it translates. I just I had him fourth. I think he's I think he's the best coach of all time personally. I do too. And and while he may have lost a step or two, I don't think he's lost nearly as much as people think. I think he just hasn't had the talent because the West has been stacked for the last five six years, and the Spurs have been respectable ever since, even without top tier talent. Yeah, that's fair. But okay, and then number eleven, Mike Malone. I know I talked about earlier that with Taylor Jenkins that I might have put too much into player development and everything like that. But look at what the Nuggets have done, like. I know the front office has hit and hit and hit again, but he's taken Jokic, who was the 43rd pick in the draft, turned him into an MVP, learned to run the offense through him. He's developed Jamal Murray. He's developed Michael Porter Jr. He's developed Monte Morris. Just time and time and time again, I know he's being equipped with proper personnel and, like, the correct guys that the front office is taking, but he's making sure that he's getting the most out of these guys. How many How many coaches – what was it like three, four years ago? How many coaches are going to allow their offense to be run through their seven foot three center? Right now? Back, no, back then. Back when it back when back when they installed that with Jokic, no no other coach I can think of really other than maybe Popovich or Spolstra. Uh, back then it was that wasn't a thing. 
And I think I think you have to give Mike Malone credit for being willing to run with that, especially after the failed debacle of Boogie Cousins with the Kings. And I know he had success with Boogie, but it wasn't like Boogie led him to anything near what Jokic has been able to do. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, I know you said you're hiring Chris Finch and you didn't even name him yet, but Chris Finch is another one who has kind of learned from that Mike Malone tree of running. I know they're using a lot of the high pick and roll with Cavs, but they're somewhat running the offense. So they don't have a true point guard there. So they're kind of running the offense through Cad in a way. Uh, not 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 the same way the Nuggets do with Jokic, but and they they do like a, an Anthony Edwards cat hybrid. Yeah, and it's it's I I I feel like it's really inspired stuff that they do in Minnesota. You're right, I haven't mentioned him yet. Okay, so we talked about I had Malone eleven, Popovich and Carlisle nine. So what was your next tier? Uh, my next tier is I have Frank Vogel tenth, I have Steve Kerr ninth, and I have Bud eighth. Okay. I had, let's see, all those guys you said I actually have a tier higher, just about. So, what is that, your third tier? Yeah, that's my third tier. Okay. So, we just said my third tier, call out Pop Bitch and Malone. My second tier, I have Quinn Snyder, six, Frank Vogel, seven, and Monty Williams, eighth. Okay. Um, I have Quinn Snyder, sixth, and Chris, Chris Finch, seventh. I, I have him all the way up at seventh. I I would rather. I think he's very. I I it is it is very high, but I am I'm all in on Finch as a championship level coach. Okay. I mean that's ambitious, but like I just feel like he hasn't done enough and proven enough yet to like I need for that's me. That's my big. That was my big call for the for the show. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But um. I don't know. I just now, I feel- now if Minnesota finishes like. 44, like with 44 wins, three games over 500, nine games ahead of their over under, and make the playoffs. I need to see a guy coach a playoff game to really know what to adequately rank him. But that, I, I get it. I get that, it. That's fair. That is a very fair prerequisite. Okay. So let's talk about um, Monty Williams. I honestly think eighth might be a little bit too low. I'm just thinking back on his Pelicans days where he didn't do a whole bunch with Anthony Davis. I mean, to be fair, he didn't have the the adequate like personnel. The same thing we've been talking about, the GMs aren't setting these guys up with you know proper personnel. But I know he took the Suns from like a 19-win team to the NBA Finals. But the Suns, when they went 8 and 0 in the bubble with Aiden, I think they had a winning record because that was the year DeAndre Aiden was suspended 25 games for using yep. the substance. I believe the Suns had a winning record or close to it. With they DeAndre did have one. With, games. Yeah. So I feel like they were ready to take a leap anyway, and then, you know, they got them Chris Paul. So I don't know how much of some success I should attribute to Monty Williams as a coach or if they were just ready to take a step anyway. I had him at three because he just coached that team to the finals. And I'm, I kind of ignored the Pelican stuff because he's, he's come out so much against his former Pelican stuff. Like he, he's talked about how he wishes he could do so many things different front in new Orleans, but he's actually doing them different in Phoenix. So I, I had him pretty high up the list. They did add Chris Paul, but the West was still brutal. And I thought, 
I thought they ran a lot of good things to get Devin Booker looks and to get him involved in the offense, but to keep him from swallowing the offense whole because he likes to shoot and he, he's not a knockdown three point shooter. Like a lot of people think. So I think Monty Williams ability to get Deandre Ayton to buy in to taking a lesser role and not get maxed out for it. Uh, getting bridges to excel. I, I just think he's done a lot of good things. I had him third. It's probably a little high. But... I said probably had him low at eight. Right. So, so we're not bad there. He's the guy I wish when the Sixers lost on that Kawhi shot in game seven, when they had Jimmy Butler, he's the guy I wish we had him on our bench at the time as our head assistant behind Brett Brown. I wish then we followed Brett Brown and hired him instead of waiting a year, firing Brett, and then bringing on Doc Rivers. So first we had a chance to Ty Lu, who I had number three, and we had a chance to Monty Williams, who I had at eight. And instead we settled for Doc Rivers, who you had 26. So you had him, you had him higher though. I had him 14th. So, but okay, Frank Vogel. I feel like seven might be a little too low for him as well. But this dude just he knows how to bring out defensive schemes. I mean, all those years in Orlando, he always made sure he never had great personnel, but always made sure they were an adequate defensive team. And even last year when Anthony Davis and LeBron missed all those games, he still had the Lakers as top five defense with Alex Caruso as his main defender. So I just feel like, you know, he's he's everything people say Tibbs is in the aspect of, oh, yeah, he's a great defensive mind, blah, blah, blah. And I know Tibbs is more than that. Tibbs gets the guys to buy in and play hard, too. But... Vogel is just such a great defensive mind, and, you know, we've seen it time and time again. See, I, I call Vogel the poor man's Thibs. Okay. I think, I think he – if he didn't have LeBron, I don't know that he'd be having the success that he had. I think he would really needs someone to help him carry the offense. He is a defensive genius, though, and you, you mentioned that he does that in Orlando. But having Caruso as your best defender, I don't know that that's a negative. Uh, with how well he's been playing in Chicago. I think he's a great on-ball defender. Um, he had Vucevic in Orlando, who, I, again, in Chicago has been great on defense, just getting in the lanes, getting deflections. I think I had Vogel 10th. I was even lower than you on him. I just – I think it's an offensive-driven league, and it's really hard to – it's really hard for me to have him higher when if he didn't have Le- LeBron James, I I don't know what he'd be able to do with an offensive system. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like I'm not going to knock a coach for coaching LeBron James either. I, I get what you're saying completely. But right, and we're in the we're in the top ten of coaching. It's it's not like any of these guys are scrubs. Yeah. At this point, you're having to nitpick a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Number six, I have Quinn Snyder. He's another one I feel like I should have higher, but he's a regular season coach. We've seen him. You know, we've seen the Jazz not have success in the playoffs. But at the same time, I feel like that might be a little bit of the Jazz personnel. I know they had three All-Stars last year. But at least he can recognize, okay, Rudy Gobert's game played off the floor. I need to bench him. He's not – like, Doc Rivers would never do that. Doc Rivers would say, I'm, I'm dying with Gobert on the courts. Like, I, at least Quinn Snyder, you can appreciate. He says, okay, I need to play small ball against the Clippers. I'm going to do that. I had him sixth also. Okay. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley were both also hurt in the Clippers series. That, I mean, they were playing, but they were injured, so they weren't nearly as effective as, as they are. Mitchell, especially. I just – he – the Jazz are always in the right positions. They have a system that they play, and they execute it to near perfection most of the time. It, it's definitely 
I didn't put him in my top tier because I he's such a great system coach, but it doesn't like you said, or he he pulled Gobert, but they didn't try to make very many adjustments around that. He, instead of trying to change how they were playing defense against the Clippers, that he was just like, all right, we got to take Gobert out, which I would have rather seen him try to do like maybe just the softer coverages on the three point shots just to try and keep Gobert on the floor. Or even bringing in another big beside Gobert to rim protect behind him so Gobert could rotate out. And that's what keeps him from the top tier for me. I think he's a really, really, really good coach. And I think the Jazz are just a really, really, really good team. And again, going back, I know I keep reiterating and I sound like a broken record, but player development-wise, I mean, that team is built around a 13th pick in the draft and 27th pick in the draft. Like, they've done a phenomenal job with... Especially Gobert. Like, Gobert... Right, Ingles wasn't drafted high. O'Neal wasn't drafted high. Was he not drafted at all? I didn't... He was not drafted, played overseas, and then came over a few years. But Gobert, I mean... I remember watching the Combine in 2013, and people said, this dude does not know how to play basketball. Like, yeah, he has the wingspan, he has, like, the length, the intangibles, everything. But, like, this dude does not know how to play. And then what they've been able to turn him into is just unbelievable yeah so okay so then i have my top tier i have five coaches in my number one tier which might be a lot but like again as you said at this point we'll at the top five or so coaches in the nba it's a little bit of nitpicking so five who i actually had number one the last time i did this on my other podcast i put nick nurse number four i have steve kerr number three already talked about i have ty lu Number two, I put Budenholzer, who I actually had 10th the first time I did this. But, you know, now he's won the championship, shown that he could do it in the playoffs. So I gave him the benefit of the doubt for that. And then number one, I have Spolstra. I I have Spolstra one. I have Nurse two. I have Monty Williams three and Pop four for my top tier. I had Budenholzer eighth. Um, and then I had Steve Kerr. Where did I? I had him ninth. Okay. So I had those two right there together. Um, again, it's the it's the top of the tier. I you can't argue with any of them. Uh, so who'd you say was five for you? Nick Nurse. I had him second. I I love what they've done in Toronto. Yeah. No. You, did Did you realize they don't have a player over six nine? I heard somebody say that the other day, and I was like, no way, that's right. On the but, roster? Yeah. I heard somebody. Uh, I'll go double check it uh, now just to make okay. sure. I was going to say, no, I believe you if you heard it, but I mean, I'm thinking like Chris Boucher is probably about 6'9". Cambridge. I'm just seeing the center's pressure soccer world is like 6'8". Yeah, you might be right on that. But either way, I mean, I did have Nick Nurse number one overall last time I did this, but I just feel like, I don't know, I keep seeing him not play Chris Boucher, and I get He's foul happy and he doesn't love what he does, but like, I just feel like, I don't know. I keep going back to these player development. And again, this is nitpicking at this point. See, I don't, I don't like Boucher either. So I didn't fault him for that. Okay. Well, here's my thing. I keep saying Toronto might be the best player development out of everyone. They took Van Vliet from an undrafted rookie into a borderline all-star. They took Siakam into a late first-round pick into an all-NBA player at least one season. I mean, they have the worst center rotation in the league right now, and that's clearly showing. 
Last year, they played in Tampa, so I'm not going to fault him too much. And I know he won Coach of the Year when Kawhi left, and, you know, they didn't really miss a beat after winning a championship. So I get it. I just I just feel like he hasn't done anything this year or last year to, you know, demonstrate, okay, this is why I'm the best coach in the league. That That's fair. I, just, I like what they've done in Toronto with the team they built. I picked them to make the play-in tournament i think they're gonna kind of uh, exceed expectations and i like what he's done with scotty i like how he's enabled scotty barnes to grow uh he's been way more aggressive than he even was in college or high school which i feel like that's got to be a testament to the coaching staff in- encouraging that and kind yeah, of making that a priority especially offensively right he he was never like this in college or in high school offensively he was never this aggressive um you, you're not a bulls fan i was going to say you can compare he acted like Patrick Williams does in the NBA in terms of being passive on offense. He, but, and the nurse has enabled him to just kind of take over that offense when he gets the chance. And it's, it's looked a little rocky sometimes because he is a rookie, but I, again, you had him first last year, next year, who like, it's so, it's so up in the air. Again, when I do this next year, if I'm being honest. Uh, who'd you have, who'd you have third? Third, I have Ty Lue, who we already talked about. Fourth, I have Steve Kerr. And I, he's – go ahead. Steve Kerr, I just want to say, like, he hasn't really done anything. Like, last year they ended up losing the play and missing the playoffs. And the year before that was a disaster when Steph only played in three games. And clearly – I don't know. Clearly that didn't – that didn't work out the way that Golden State wanted it to. But given they didn't have Clay Thompson, they still didn't have, like, the depth they've had on that dynasty team. But, like, he coached a dynasty team. Like, he changed the NBA. Like, three-point shooting is being shot now because of how he used. I know that also has to be attributed to Steph Curry. But, like, they revolutionized the game, that Golden State Warriors team. They did. And... I think you can look at the success the team had last year and then look at the success they're having this year. The player personnel he had last year wasn't a good fit for the style he likes to run. And so that's kind of why I had him ninth. He Kerr has a style he likes to run. He's not going to be able to succeed with anything you give him. But if you give him the right smart high IQ players like Otto Porter Jr., like Bielitsa, to go with Steph Curry and Draymond Green – he's going to be able to build you an extremely successful team that Be- can continue. Go Be- ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Bielitz is actually the guy I thought of when ranking Steve Kerr because he took a guy who couldn't even get minutes for Miami last year when he was traded at the deadline and was able to, like when Draymond's on the bench, he recognizes, okay, when Bielitz won Euro League MVP, he wasn't as stressful like he is now. He was a playmaking Draymond Green type player. So he was able to take Bielitsa and play him like he plays Draymond on that second unit. And so far, the results have been phenomenal. Hasn't it just been fantastic to watch? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Okay, so so he was third for you? He was fourth. Fourth, okay. Ty Lue, I have third. We already talked about him. And I I, I was probably a little low on Ty Lue. He really is a ceiling raiser. I just wanted to get that out there for for Ty Lue. Okay. So number one and number two, I have Spolstra, Budenholzer. Let's talk. You said you're Budenholzer like tenth, right? Yeah, eighth. I have him eighth. Okay, and I had him tenth when I did this exercise last year. 
before, you know, he won the championship. Now it was always, okay, he won 60 games and got four All-Stars out of Paul Millsap, Al Horford, Jeff Teague, and Kyle Corvo. Like, it takes a special kind of coach to get all four of those players into an All-Star game. Yeah, he's he's a great regular season coach. It took him a while to, to get it right in the playoffs, and I think a lot of that just had to do with the Giannis development and the getting Drew Holiday, I think, was huge for that team. I don't think they win the title without him. I... That's why I had him eighth. I, I think he's a, I think he's a really good coach. I don't necessarily think he's like an elite, elite coach. I've been high on the Bucks. I, I think I picked them to win the title the past three years. So to me, it's more like Budenholzer is Doc Rivers in his prime. He where he's fine. He's coached long enough. He's been a bad coach long enough that he's learned how to be a good coach. So I don't know Budenholzer. And again, I don't want to say it again. But the fact that, you know, he developed Giannis and he developed Chris Middleton. I mean, he's taking these guys that were never supposed to make it. Like Giannis, I am when he was drafted. I said, I love him. He's going to be awesome. But even I never anticipated he was going to be like, who could have anticipated this? Oh, nobody did. Yeah. So he's taking guys that aren't supposed to be good and turning them into champions, Hall of Famers. Giannis is a top 25 player all time, probably. Like, yeah. So, okay. And we both had Spo number one. Yes, and I feel like most people do have Spolstra number one. It's just, I feel like whatever you give him, he's going to thrive with. Yeah, he he is he is the, the cream of the crop in the NBA right now. Uh, there, there's not much you can say that hasn't been said about Spolstra and his ability to take like the, take you took Goran Dragic off this team, and I know you added Lowry, and everybody is remembering how good Lowry is. But they play completely different styles, and this team is not athletic. I don't know how they're getting it done on offense. Thank thank goodness Tyler Heroes had a resurgence, but Spolster's played a part in that. He's he's just the best coach in the NBA, and I I think it, this was was that the easiest spot for you? Just about, yeah. Because, again, I had him number two before to Nick Nurse when I did this last year. Now that I moved Nurse down a little bit, I was like, okay, who else would I put number one? But here's an interesting stat. You know how we just talked about Carlisle never having to not win a playoff series in like 10 years? Oh, no. Hello? I heard something. Spolstra has never won 50 games without LeBron James on his team. I believe that. So, I mean – Because they they had that one – because his first year without LeBron, they, they had that great second half. Yeah. But they started so poor, and then, I mean, from there you've had shortened seasons, and then they had Jimmy Butler. Yeah, but he – it was just surprising how, you know, you think about him as, yeah, he's the best coach in the league, and, like, it's not consensus, but it's pretty damn close. And it's like, he's never won 50 games without LeBron. Like, that's just – it's not an indictment on him. I still put him number one. But it's just something, you know, to think about when doing an exercise like this. But yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I just – I went back through. Yeah, they they won 44 and then like 43 games. Okay, yeah. But, okay. And then did you ever find anything about that Raptors? Anybody on the Raptors being over 6-9? I'm just, I'm just very curious about that because, as I said, I think the Raptors have the worst center rotation in the NBA. How do I get to the Raptors from here? I can uh, as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Sh- 
Let me double check. Let's Let's see. see. Raptors. Okay, I have the Raptors roster. Let's see. It's loading. Yeah, no. According to Basketball Reference, they do not have a player over six nine. Yeah, they have Ken Birch and Chris Boucher, who are both six nine, and Utah Watanabe is six nine. But other than that, damn, that's impressive. Well, according uh, so according to the Raptors, or according to Basketball Reference, Scotty Barnes is six nine. Birch, Boucher, Danton. Sam Decker, Pascal Siakam, and Utah Wontanabe, the guy who got dunked on by Anthony Edwards last year. So they have tons of guys at 6'9", but nobody taller than 6'9". Okay, interesting. So, okay, anything else you want to say about this exercise, or do you think we covered it all? No, um, I probably sounded more negative than I should have on these coaches. A lot of them, like, I think coaching is extremely hard to do. And but when you rank coaches, you you have to pick like you have to pick something. Yeah. But I other other than like my bottom tier of like the Jason Kidd, the Luke Walton, Chauncey Billups, Rick Carlisle and Doc Rivers. Sorry. Those are the only the only coaches that I'm really out on in the NBA. Okay. And again, there's so many first year coaches that it's like I don't know where to rank them yet. So. We've really got to see what they do over this next year. So when we do this again a year from now or whenever, you know, we could better gauge what these coaches can do. And, you know, we'll and adjust our rankings accordingly. Or even at the end of the season. If you like once you once with especially with these first year coaches, like you can kind of at least get an idea of their rotation habits. Are their players playing hard for them? Are they are they doing smart things on the court? That sort of thing. Yeah. So, okay. So this was a fun exercise to do. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You can follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. You can follow Trey on Twitter at FinalFinally. Um, listen to the BirdRights podcast. Listen to the NBA Eagle podcast. Rate and review both on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to bold statements, bold predictions, BSVP. Both that and BirdRights are on the Hoopon Network, so... Take a listen. Trey, do you have anything else you want to plug before we leave? Man, you nailed that. That outro was, like, professional. I'm so impressed right now. Thank you. You could tell I've been podcasting. Right. Thank you for having me on. Sorry I rambled a little bit. But I I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. And I'm excited for you to keep shining a light on the side of the NBA that doesn't get a lot of coverage this time of year. And next episode, I actually believe I am doing with another member of the Hoopon Network – I am ranking front offices, the two of us. So we're going to rank front offices 1 to 30. So that's why I wanted to give some insight on coaching. So now, you know, we could do front offices and, you know, kind of compare and contrast which teams have the best duos. Like there's the Heat, where we have Spolstra with the best coach in the league. Where does Pat Riley rank? Or Masai Ujiri might be the number one or number two executive. We have Nick Nurse and our top five coaches. So it's just a fun exercise to do um, as a preamble to that. And, yeah, I'm excited to release that for you guys. So Trey will talk to you guys on both statements, bold predictions, and I will talk to you guys next week on Bird Rights. The luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. Home. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Uh-huh. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. Yeah.